So how many of you check this out just because of the title, right? <laughs> I am pretty proud of that title, I'll actually be honest. But let's get into this. All right, so this is Begin Again. My name is John. This is the way that I'm trying to put my pastoral education to use. But here's the thing is uh, I like the phrase begin again. And in some sense, it's going to work very well with this episode, because to me, begin again means being willing to start over. And that's kind of what uh, we're all supposed to be able to do. Be willing to start over if we need to. And uh, this topic today is about how maybe it's time to start over and how we think about this thing looming before us called Judgment Day. So that's an interesting introduction, right? Let's go into this, though. I have a few updates just to share first, and then we're going to get into this episode. Okay. so first up. I have been working kind of tirelessly over the past week to update my own website. I don't have anybody that I'm paying right now to help me do this. I do have some people that are helping me. That's very true. And well, I guess one of them works for the company. Anyways, uh, so it's been updated and it has a whole bunch of things in there. And here's the thing is I'm hoping to do events with people or with churches, do it at locations. I have some things up there like blogs that you can read. I've got a link to, I think my YouTube videos that I have up there and uh, things that you can even get. So I actually made a number of weeks ago, something called You, Me and Nicodemus, which is really just an audio commentary on this whole interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus goes to Jesus at, Jesus at night because he doesn't want his buddies to know that he's starting to flirt with Jesus's teachings. And Jesus doesn't uh, negate or turn down or insult uh, the pharisaical tradition, but he kind of invites Nicodemus to start thinking beyond it. And so that's what that whole thing is about. If you felt as though your religious framework has become a little boxy, but you still feel this pull by God to maybe stand upon that, but not be limited to just existing within it. Uh, that sounds very nuanced, but it's up there. You can get it. And I also made a 10 week video series. And the cool thing about that is you can choose, you can choose either to pay for 10 bucks or even just a buck. That's either a buck of video or 10 cents of video and you'll get emailed the next video each successive Monday. Isn't that interesting? And if you want to pay a buck, that's fine. It really doesn't bother me. I think the most important thing is to get good things out there that benefit people. So check out the website, check out some of that stuff. But then also I have on the website, I set up a Calendly, Calendly event. Uh, page or sign up page where if you want to sit down and you want to have a zoom meeting about some of these topics you can actually go there and click on it and it would be just like we're going out for coffee so no matter where you are in the world it's so fascinating that we can maybe meet up over zoom and there's different categories there maybe if you want to talk about reconstructing your faith or maybe if you just got some faith questions 
but you don't have someone to talk to about it. If you're a pastor or a ministry person in burnout and you need someone to talk to, I can do that. I'd be up for that, all right? I've been there. I know what it's like. I know some of the hurdles and struggles of working in professional ministry. And uh, it's it's hard. It's real hard, right? But all that goes to say is I've been trying since I left uh, my most recent church job, trying to let my faith inform and shape how I live my life, <laughs> which is hopefully what you do all the time, right? But it's fascinating because spirituality, as I understand it, can hopefully help us to overcome, you know, hurt and pain or or resentment, help us to, to live more truthfully and not deny or repress or hide from some of the issues, but instead embrace them and instead redeem some of those experiences for their wisdom and for their lessons so that then we can actually live this thing that Jesus calls uh, the abundant life. So check out the website. There's a few things there, but I think that's all I have to say for now. Oh, one more thing. Tonight, I'm doing my first event uh, called Tales and Ginger Ales. And I've had the idea for doing this type of event for literally three years. But I never really had the opportunity to do it. And then obviously, COVID happened. And so the gatherings and groups of people just didn't allow for it. And I'm very excited for that tonight. So I'll... I'll tell you about how that goes later on, all right? But let's get started. Non-judgment day is near. I had this interaction, okay? So last week, there was a, a moment in one of the classes that I teach where I said to this group of college students this simple sentence, and I repeated it twice. Here we go. God is the most judicious, but the least judgmental being in the cosmos. Let me say it again. God is the most judicious, but the least judgmental being in the cosmos. And all the students, they were scribbling it down. They're writing it in their notes and and all of that. And then one of the students, by the way, the students are wonderful. I'm not throwing any shade at them. One of the students laughed. And I said, well, what's, what's the laughter for? And they turned and said, the person next to me doesn't like that sentence. They disagree with you. I was like, oh, great, cool. So tell me, how, where do we disagree? What's the difficulty? What's, what's the challenge or the hurdle? Maybe you can change my mind. And I can tell that these college students aren't used to that type of response. Perhaps uh, professors tell them what to think or how to think. You know what I mean. Uh, it's actually kind of the mode of religious uh, professionals, right? To tell people where they're wrong. And that's maybe more about, well, that's a whole other conversation. So I said, well, what's going on? And this student said, God is absolutely judgmental. I said, I, I think I disagree. I said, well, how do you define the term? And they gave their definition. I said, well, for me, judgmental means that you look down on someone with condescension or that you actually treat someone with less dignity than you should because of the mistakes that they made. 
right? And so that's a part of being judgmental. And the student said, no, no, God is absolutely judgmental because God discerns what's right and wrong. I said, absolutely. <laughs> this is what I said with judicious. God is judicious. God knows the difference between right and wrong when we don't. He is the most judicious being in the cosmos, but he is the least judgmental. And this, this student got a little flustered, not in a bad way, you know, but I said, well, how about you Google it? Go ahead, pull open your phone and just uh, Google the word judgmental. And we came up with, this is in front of the class, and I actually think these are the prime learning experiences. Uh, okay, well, we looked up judgmental, and it's an adjective, and it means characterized by a tendency to judge harshly. Sometimes it even means uh, to severely criticize or to be overly critical. And so, so I said, uh, do you believe that God is severely critical or overly critical? They said, no. I said, okay, well then you and I agree. <laughs> the whole room kind of chuckled a little bit because it was a little awkward. And uh, this interaction went back and forth and it was fine. But these are the, the learning moments. This is when we challenge the way that we think to upgrade. And the words that we say matter greatly. And so I said, what if it's not about judgment day? What if it's about non-judgment day? And uh, the student kind of laughed and said, like, you can't just change words. Like I'm not changing words. I'm just trying to live into what we already say. Uh, but maybe we don't do that. So here's the thing. All right. That was the, the moment that made me think we should do an episode about this. We need to talk about judgment day. And one of the things is we often just avoid talking about it, especially in, frankly, sometimes in church circles, either it's overemphasized or it's just never talked about. But when it's overemphasized, I think it's talked about in the wrong way. And then when we're not talking about it, that just creates a vacuum where people can put in their own trashy understandings of it. You know what I mean? So in that absence, of having someone talk about it appropriately, uh, Hollywood gets to come on in and tell us what it says. So here we go. What does this whole thing have to do? Well, this is closely tied with this idea that God looks at you in your favorite sins and says with compassion, I get it. I understand why that's your favorite thing to go to. I know the wounds in your heart. I know the hurdles that you've gone through. I know the pain of your life. I understand why that is the salve that you use to medicate your pains. It's not a good one, but I understand it. And uh, I've mentioned this before, but it's one thing to have someone who's an alcoholic and to surround them with religious folk who berate them and maybe shame them into giving it up. And of course, maybe they clean their life up a bit, but it's motivated by shame and guilt more than anything else. Where actually, it's kind of proven that when you swap out one addiction, it creates a vacuum and another one comes in. And so with the same intensity that some persons might be an alcoholic, 
they might swap in with the same intensity of being quote unquote religious. But it's still just another salve for something else going on deeper. And so maybe it would be better if we actually said, listen, you're an alcoholic, but can we talk about maybe why you're, you are an alcoholic? Were you beat as a child? Were you taken advantage of? Are there other unresolved hurts and pains that you're using this to self-medicate and numb yourself out from? And so in some ways, the sins that maybe we enact are actually the ways that we try to escape from other difficulties or frustrations, right? But here's the thing. When God looks at people and says, I see why that's your favorite sin. I understand why that's your favorite sin, but it's not good for you. We got to get rid of this. That's what it means to say that God is judicious, but the least judgmental. And it's usually us, correct? It's usually us that are the least judicious, but the most judgmental. And so how wonderful is it that the divine is actually the opposite? Where, God's, where God is the most judicious and the least judgmental, we tend to be the opposite and we are the least judicious. We don't know what's right or wrong, yet we are also the most judgmental towards each other and ourselves. You feel me? So what is all this going on? Okay. Well, Gregory of Nyssa... We're going way back. He is uh, considered one of the Cappadocians, one of the very early theologians and people of the church. He was, in his day and age, considered, quote unquote, the flower of orthodoxy, which means that the way that he talked about faith and belief and his Christianity was utterly beautiful, just like a flower. Well, Gregory of Nyssa said this. So follow me for a moment. We're going to do a little bit of philosophy and rhetoric and maybe metaphysics okay don't be caught off by those words they're not as intimidating as you may think okay he would say this listen good is indestructible evil is destructible right okay so good is eternal everlasting evil is not and so for him he would say that god's plan is to destroy that which is evil and fix that which is broken or heal that which is broken or uh, scarred or maimed or wounded. So here's the question for you. Are you evil? <laughs> In which case, uh, that's that whole Protestant mindset that evil should be destroyed. You should be destroyed. And I, but the thing is, are you destroyed? Are you evil or are you having been deceived like Adam and Eve in the garden? Are you evil or are you hurting? Hmm. And so we've got to ask this question. Well, what is Judgment Day really about? Because Judgment Day is probably about God actually looking at the world and seeing what needs to be destroyed and what needs to be healed. Ooh right? What if God judiciously discerns that which is evil and that which is needing to be fixed, mended, redeemed, renewed, reconciled? Ah, you see what I mean? And so judgment day becomes a question. It's like, well, what if it's actually about non-judgment day? 
And I only say this because, ready? We fall into this uh, particular mindset of either or thinking, where we want to say, is it judgment or is it mercy? Does God throw judgment or does God give mercy? And that's the wrong question. You have the If you have a bad question, you're going to have a bad answer. It's not, is it judgment or mercy? It's that God's judgment is to be merciful. Romans, which is a letter written by one of the earliest Christians, Paul, okay, wrote most of the New Testament, hits this high crescendo in the very last verse of chapter 11, in which he says, God saw that all were disobedient and so chose to be merciful to all. And I've never heard a sermon about that verse. Why is that? What's going on there? Why is it that we seem to gloss over this phrase, mercy upon all? Go ahead, look it up for yourself, okay? Don't just take it from me. Romans is building to this high crescendo, its main point, in which case it says, it is God's decision to in Christ be merciful upon all. And that's why chapter 12 picks up with, therefore, I beseech you, brethren, as by the mercies of God, right? To be living sacrifices. Live your life in response and gratitude and joy to this pronouncement of mercy upon all because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, right? So, all this kind of comes back to this very simple, simple one verse. I actually don't think it's appropriate to hold every single Bible verse with equal authority or influence. You start doing that and then you're going to start having issues. You're going to start seeing logical contradictions and then you're going to debate back and forth because whatever. Well, in Acts chapter 3, all right, this is uh, Luke part 2. This was written by Luke and this is about the very, very early church. In Acts chapter 3, Peter, the apostle, the right-hand man of Jesus, stands up and he gives a sermon. And when he does, he says this very interesting line. He's talking about the Christ, he's talking about Jesus, and he says, Heaven must receive him, or, or have him, right? Until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now, why is this important? The phrase, restore everything. As promised long ago through his holy prophets. So, here's the thought. Here's the apostle Peter saying that the totality of the prophets of the Old Testament spoke about the restoration of all things. Why don't we talk about that? Now that means for Peter, even though he knows all the same prophet's writings that we have, despite all the doom and gloom in those passages, he still interpreted the whole of the prophets to be about the restoration of everything. Mercy upon all. What's going on here? So yes, is that going to be a day of darkness and gloom? Of course it will be. Absolutely. But it's going to be darkness and gloom for that which is evil. 
but it's going to be a really wonderful and joyous day for all those that are hurting and in pain and were deceived by the world and the things around them. And so judgment day maybe is about judging, being judicious about what is evil and what is hurting. Because the wrath of God's love should be like a laser focus upon the cancers within each of our own heart and soul. Gregory of Nyssa talked about how the word kolatso in Greek means this, I chastise, curtail, prune, or punish. Yet, in most of our English translations, we actually put it or translate it as punish. What if God's more interested in pruning than punishing? What if God is more interested in pruning off of us what is evil and destroying that and then healing what is left of us? So here's here's a thought. The Jesus tradition, okay, from the very start, I'm talking pre-Constantinian days when Constantine made it legal and then the formal religion of the Roman Empire which at that point, Roman culture was dropped on top of Christianity. And then there was hierarchy and sexism, whereas before there were actually women that were ordained. Ooh, okay. The Jesus tradition from the start was always about the renewal, the restoration, the reconciliation, the rescue, the recovery, the redemption of all things and all people that bear the image of God. Now, who doesn't bear the image of God? Hmm? Good question. The very early church, Bernard of Clairvaux, used to talk about how everyone is in the image of God, but not everyone has the likeness of Christ. And that's why everyone that you know, even the worst people, are still in the image of God, but they did not look like Christ when you met them. They were bullies or they were intimidating or they hurt you or they did something to you. They did not bear the likeness of Christ, but they were still in the image of God. And so what if Judgment Day is about recognizing everyone is made in the image of God, that God is chosen to be merciful to all, and to prune us so that then we can become more into the likeness of Christ. Oh, it's so wild, right? It's so absolutely wild. And it reframes a lot of things. Now, you might say, John, are you taking certain passages too far? Well, what I started realizing over the years is that I was fascinated by the Bible verses that are overlooked, even by the one or three year lectionary. So here's a great one. Uh, Philippians 2 talks about how one day every knee will bow above the earth, on the earth, and under the earth. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The word confess doesn't mean confess there. It's actually the Greek word exomalageo. Which I understand. Hold on. Just because I use the Greek word, don't be intimidated. It actually means openly and joyfully profess. So what does it mean to say that one day every tongue will openly and joyfully profess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father? 
What does it mean when we say in Colossians 1 that all things have already been reconciled back to God? What does it mean to say in John 12 that when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will drag all people to himself? The early church always saw, okay, the Jesus movement was actually a a whole movement about recovery. It was about a rescue, the divine rescue of the whole cosmos from that which is tearing it apart. And so what's fascinating is that along the way, we have possibly made it smaller, the good news less than what it really is. Because there's the good news or there's good advice. And maybe I've shared this before. I actually get this from N.T. Wright. Good advice is to go around and tell people you should follow Jesus so then you can be saved. Good news would be to say you are saved, so let's follow Jesus. There's a condition on one side. There's an uncondition on the other. There is uh, an if-then. If you follow Jesus, then you'll be saved. Or there's because-therefore. Because Christ has saved everything, including yourself. Therefore, by the mercies of God, give yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. You see what I mean? So what if we were to actually take uh, this whole idea of Judgment Day and to flip it on its head because what we've done is I wonder if we've actually made Judgment Day in our image. If we are the least judicious and the most judgmental, why do we assume that the God who is love would act that same way on Judgment Day? Maybe we should actually pay attention to what the scriptures are already saying, that God is love. And in fact, I really think that a lot of this comes down to whether or not your understanding of God actually lives up to the definition of love that happens in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Is not boastful or crude. It does not keep account of wrongs, but rejoices when good happens. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know? What if we actually allowed, even on Judgment Day, for God, our understanding of God, to uh, reflect 1 Corinthians 13? God is the most judicious but the least judgmental being in the whole cosmos. Now, my gosh, isn't that good news? Why don't we talk about that all the time, right? Do you understand God as a judge or as a surgeon? Gregory of Nyssa understood God as being a surgeon who's helping to, I love these R words, to Renew, restore, reconcile, rescue, recover, redeem all things and to draw all things back unto him because that's what it says. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you can disagree with me. That's totally fine. But as I've come to understand and, and read the scriptures in their own original languages, as I've come to understand uh, my own experiences of God and what does it actually mean to say that God is love? And to say that if you who are evil would not give your children stone when they ask for bread, how much more so will your heavenly father give you what you need? Oh, 
Good news, friends. <laughs> Non-judgment day is near. The, the God of the cosmos who is revealed in this person of Jesus is better than we were than we ever thought. And the best thing is that this God is not in our image, but we can hopefully be in his image. And so, my God, why not sing? Why not live joyfully? Why not live with uh, hope and forgiveness and mercy and joy towards all the things that we go through in this life? And uh, that, that's no easy task, right? But maybe it's time we actually start saying God is the most judicious but the least judgmental just as Jesus was, is, will be. You know what I mean. So this was it. I hope this was a good one, and uh, I hope it maybe caused you to rethink some things. Again, I think that this one is kind of a great example of that phrase, begin again. Maybe it's time we start over how we think about this. Maybe what we've been handed isn't always what the church has taught. And so why not go back to the root? Go back and check out Gregory of Nyssa. Go ahead and look up what does the word judicious or judgmental mean. Go ahead, look up this Greek word kolatzo. Go ahead, look up Acts chapter 3, 21. Go ahead, look up Romans eleven thirty-two. I think it is. Go ahead, check out John 12, 32, 34. John 12, that's where it's, Jesus says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw or drag all people to myself. And uh, by the way, that Greek verb there, drag, that's the verb that's often used in reference to fishing nets, to drag the nets back in. So I don't know, man. I hope that this was helpful for you. I hope it caused you to, to think uh, slightly differently and just to recognize that maybe what we've been teaching isn't exactly what the church has always been teaching. And even though uh, this sounds scandalous, possibly as a podcast, you know what? It's fine. I actually think the good news is scandalous. It's okay. Maybe it's time we... Uh, stop trying to declaw the Lion of Judah. Maybe we actually let uh, the gospel be as dangerous as we say it is. Maybe it really is about, as Peter says in Acts 3.21, maybe this whole thing really is about the restoration of all things. <sighs> yeah, I'm done. I hope you enjoyed this grace and peace to you feel free absolutely send me an email if you want uh and let's get a dialogue going i'll say it again grace and peace to you cheers